the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. John was boldly proclaiming that when Messiah arrived, he would execute judgment upon the wicked. But that's not what John hears Jesus doing. His disciples have reported to him that Jesus is just going around doing good deeds, and John is perplexed. John is confused. He's thinking something like this. If Jesus really is the Messiah, then why isn't he executing his blazing power of judgment on the world? Now, John was absolutely right when he said that Messiah will execute judgment, because this is precisely what the Old Testament scriptures teach. Messiah will execute judgment. But what John the Baptist failed to do was understand that judgment isn't the only work of the Messiah. The Bible teaches that there are two comings of the Messiah. In his first coming, Messiah didn't come to judge. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die on behalf of sinners. It's in his second coming that he will return to execute wrath and judgment upon all who are lost. Verse by verse, we are going to study a very interesting aspect of the gospel as it corresponds to Christ's ministry when he was on earth. You're listening to Verse by Verse. It's a Monday through Friday broadcast that seeks to carefully study God's word through the preaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. As we start today, we start with the confusion of John the Baptist. He was in prison and he was starting to wonder if Jesus was actually the Messiah. John's ministry had consisted of telling people the Messiah was coming and he was going to bring judgment. John's confusion came from the fact that Jesus was doing good deeds, healing people, forgiving sin. I think you will find today's verse-by-verse broadcast very interesting. So without any delay, here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. Notice what these verses in Matthew say precipitated John's doubt. It was the good works of Christ. We read that when John, when this took place, he was in prison, heard about the works of Christ. That's when John, hearing what Jesus was doing, that's when he sent some of his disciples to Jesus to talk to him and ask him if he is the Messiah or should they expect someone else to come who's the Messiah. See, while John was in prison, his disciples, and apparently... They could visit him there. They told him that Jesus had been doing kind and compassionate things like 
healing the blind, restoring the lame, cleansing lepers, gathering a handful of men and sending them out to preach and to cast out demons and on and on. And it was those very things that were bothering John. And it was causing him to doubt the validity of Jesus as Messiah. And the reason for John's doubts, watch this, was because Jesus wasn't doing the things that John had told the people that Messiah would do, namely execute judgment on sin. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, this is what John told people, that when Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, meaning Messiah, is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's judgment. That's judgment. So John was boldly proclaiming that when Messiah arrived, he would execute judgment upon the wicked. But that's not what John hears Jesus doing. His disciples have reported to him that Jesus is just going around doing good deeds, and John is perplexed. John is confused. He's thinking something like this. If Jesus really is the Messiah, then why isn't he executing his blazing power of judgment on the world? Now, John was absolutely right when he said that Messiah will execute judgment, because this is precisely what the Old Testament scriptures teach. Messiah will execute judgment. But what John the Baptist failed to do was understand that judgment isn't the only work of the Messiah. The Bible teaches that there are two comings of the Messiah. In his first coming, Messiah didn't come to judge. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die on behalf of sinners. It's in his second coming that he will return to execute wrath and judgment upon all who are lost. But John failed to recall all that the prophets had said about the good works of Messiah. He remembered some of it, but not all of it. So notice what Jesus did in response to John's question about his good works and whether or not he's the Messiah. I love this. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, that's John's disciples, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, the amazing thing about Christ's response to John's question is that he didn't answer his question, at least not directly. John asked if Jesus was the Christ or if there was someone else coming who was the Christ. And notice what Jesus did. He just loosely quoted from a number of different passages from the book of Isaiah. Those passages spoke of the works of the Messiah. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he told John's disciples to go and tell their teacher that this is what he's doing. That's what confused John in the first place. Go back and tell him this is what I'm doing. This was Christ's answer to John. You want to know if I'm the Messiah? Just look at my works. They prove who I am. Remember what the prophets said. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Now, the point that I want you to see 
And the point that Peter is making in his gospel presentation is that the supernatural works of Jesus proved that he was the Messiah and therefore that he was a man, a real man, full humanity as well as full deity. And the reason, folks, that this is so important when you're telling someone the gospel to stress that Christ is both God and man is because without an understanding that he's the God-man, his greatest work makes no sense. And it is his greatest work that Peter speaks of next as he continues to unfold the message of salvation. Notice verse 39. We are witnesses of all the things he did, that Christ did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. Peter says that he and the other apostles are eyewitnesses of all the good things that Jesus did, meaning that they saw him. They actually observed him doing these things. And then Peter immediately speaks of the very best thing that Jesus did. He tells them about Christ's death, using language that would express his death, communicate his death as a shameful, divine punishment for sin. Peter says they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. In spite of Christ doing these wonderful works throughout Israel, the majority of the Jewish people and their leaders rejected him, and then they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. And Peter is very explicit in describing his death as being hanged on a cross, because the cross is actually made from a tree. It's wood. And Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, says, He who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Peter worded it this way because he wants these Gentiles who did have an understanding of the Old Testament because Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He believed in Judaism, so they knew this. Peter worded it this way because he wants these Gentiles to understand that in his death, Jesus Christ was cursed by God. That doesn't mean that God said bad words to him. That's what we think of when we say to be cursing. But it means that he was judged, judged by God the Father for sin. That's what it means to be cursed by God. It speaks of divine judgment, but not for any sin that he committed because he, Christ, was sinless. You see, while hanging on the tree, Jesus was judged by God the Father in the place of sinners, meaning that the Father poured out his holy wrath on the innocent, undeserving Christ instead of on guilty, deserving us. Now, one would assume that Peter went into far more detail about this than Luke tells us. We would assume that he explained more fully to his audience at the meaning of Christ's death in more detail, because this is what makes the gospel such good news. This is the heart of the gospel. It's that the innocent one has been judged in the place of those who are guilty. Years later... Writing in his first epistle, Peter would explain Christ's death this way, 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. When Peter says that by his wounds you were healed, he means that it was Christ's sufferings and his death that brought about our spiritual healing. 
Which is another way of saying that Christ's death secured our peace with God. That's how Peter began his gospel presentation. Now he's finally, finally declaring to his audience why peace with God only comes through Jesus Christ. It's because of Christ, the God-man's substitutionary death on the tree. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce explained it this way. He said, why is Christ's death such an important part of the gospel proclamation? The answer is that he died for us in our place. This is how he made peace between ourselves and God the Father. Jesus made peace, as Peter's fellow apostle Paul says in another place, by taking the law that we have broken and that condemned us and nailing it to the cross, Colossians 2.14. Our sin is like a great wall between God and us. We cannot bridge it in order to make peace with God. We're on the far side of this wall fighting God all the time. How can that wall be removed? The cross is God's answer. At the cross, God took our sin, placed it upon Jesus Christ, and punished it there. Jesus did not die for himself. He had not sinned. He did not die merely because he was a man. He died for us because Jesus is God and infinite. His death had inexhaustible value. When we trust him, coming to God on the basis of his death, our sin is removed. And what was before a relationship of hostility becomes a bond of peace. Well put. Folks, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, the meaning of Christ's death has to be clearly Explained because his death is the sole basis for salvation. And it is faith in his death that you will soon tell the person you're speaking to that they need to have in order to be saved. But while the death of Christ is the heart of the gospel and it is the sole basis for our salvation, one has to also speak of what immediately happened after Christ's death, his resurrection. That's exactly what Peter does. Verses 40 and 41. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Now, having spoken of Christ's death at the hands of men, Peter says that God overruled their evil by raising Jesus from the grave on the third day and granting that he appear to some of his followers. Peter says, like me, like himself, and others who actually ate with him, drank with him. What Peter is doing is letting his audience know that the resurrection of Christ is no myth. It's no made-up story. It's not a figment of one's imagination. It's not a hallucination. It really happened. It happened. And he should know this because he and a few others were privileged, he says, to spend some time with the resurrected Christ. They even had meals with him. They sat down, they had food, they drank with him. So they're very qualified to be his witnesses. It is no myth. Now the reason Peter wants them to understand that Christ's resurrection really happened is because, note this, the resurrection of Christ is the Father's announcement, it's his declaration, that he, the Father, has approved of Christ's substitutionary death for sinners. That his holy wrath has been completely satisfied by the death of Christ. Also that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. All of that is what God the Father declares by raising Christ from the dead. Years later, the Apostle Paul would write to the Corinthians in chapter 15 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is vain, your faith is vain also. 
He would also say, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. You see, Christ's resurrection is the Father's way of telling us that he has accepted, fully accepted, Christ's punishment for our sins so that we can have the assurance that having trusted Christ as our Savior, we will never be punished for our sins. It's God's way of saying Christ was punished. I accept it. You'll never be punished. Why is this so important to know? Because there is coming a day when God will punish people, when he will judge people for their sins. And that's the very next thing that Peter tells the audience listening to him. Verse 42. And he, meaning Christ, ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. So having begun by telling the Gentiles who were sitting before him that they were sinners at war with God and that Jesus Christ is God who became man so that he could die on a tree and end this war by being judged in the place of sinners and that God the Father raised him from the dead to show that he had accepted his atoning death. Peter now tells them why this is so important. He says it's because there is coming a day when Jesus Christ, the one who is Lord of all, will be judge of all. Peter says that God the Father has appointed Jesus Christ as judge of the living and of the dead. That is to say that there is coming a day when everyone will stand before Jesus Christ and be judged for their sins. Paul told the Athenian philosophers in Acts 17.31 because he said God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's saying the same thing. God the Father has appointed Christ to be judge and there's coming a day when he will do that. And because this day of judgment is really coming Peter says that he and his fellow apostles have been ordered to proclaim the gospel which is exactly what he's doing to them. He's proclaiming the gospel to them. See, folks, it's critical when you are sharing the gospel to explain to people that the reason they need salvation from their sin is because they are accountable to God for the way that they have lived. And if they do not repent and do not trust Christ as their Savior, they are going to experience Christ as their judge There's only two options. Christ will either be your savior or he will be your judge. That's it. Now at this point, Peter has really finished explaining the gospel to his audience. He's told them that they're sinners in need of being reconciled to God. He's told them that Jesus Christ is God who became a man so he could die on a tree as punishment, being punished for the sins of sinners. He's told them that Christ rose from the dead, declaring that the Father is satisfied with his punishment on behalf of others. And he's told them that Christ will someday judge people for their sins. And having explained all of this, notice that Peter concludes by telling them how to escape this judgment. There is a way to escape this judgment. Verse 43. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You know what these words are? They're actually Peter's invitation for his listeners to respond to what he's just told them. 
to respond how? By trusting Christ for their salvation. He tells them that what they've just heard concerning Jesus Christ is something that the Old Testament prophets speak of because they all bear witness that if one will believe on the Messiah, then God will forgive their sins. Now in saying this, Peter was certainly thinking about such verses as Isaiah 53, 11, which says that God's servant, the Messiah, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Likewise, Peter must have had in mind Jeremiah 31, verse 34, which says concerning those who have come to know the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So when Peter tells these people before him that everyone who believes in Christ receives forgiveness of their sins, he's appealing to them. He's appealing to them to believe on Christ as well as he is inviting them to believe on Christ. And that's exactly what we're to do when we present the gospel to someone. Listen, you can't just give the content of the gospel without telling folks how to appropriate the gospel for themselves. You don't just give them the gospel and walk away. We're to tell people that if they want to be at peace with God, if they want to have their sins forgiven, then they must believe on Christ. But listen, you have to explain what it means to believe on Christ. It isn't just intellectually knowing these facts. By belief, the Bible means trust. Place your confidence in Christ. Rely on His death alone for your salvation. And involved in that is this great truth of repentance. Repentance is part of faith. Repentance is forsaking sin that you're aware of in your life. It's turning from your sin. You turn from your sin, you turn to Christ, and you trust Him for your salvation, counting on the fact that in Christ's death He was judged for your sins. If one believes on Christ like that, then God will forgive their sins as Christ then becomes their Savior and makes peace between them and God. Now folks, what you've just heard today, this is the content of the gospel. Man is a sinner. Christ, the God-man, died in the place of sinners and rose again to prove that his death was accepted by the Father. In the future, there will be a judgment of sin in which Christ will be their judge. And the only way to be delivered from this judgment of God's undiluted wrath is to repent of your sin and trust Christ as Savior. That's the gospel. This is what we tell people. We tell them this in order for them to have an understanding of how to be saved from the eternal wrath of God. So learn this. Absorb this. Soak in these truths and then go out and practice this. Put it into practice as you tell others the gospel, as God opens a door for you. Now, certainly you have the freedom to put these truths in your own words, but make sure, as I said earlier, that you cover these basic theological truths that Peter proclaimed. Otherwise, you have not shared the gospel. It's a little booklet we have in our track rack called God's Gift to You. It covers pretty much just what we covered here. I encourage you to get it, memorize it, share it with others. Now I understand it's very possible that there are some here today who have themselves never trusted Christ as their Savior. If that is the case, then understand that in the providence of God, He has brought you here today to hear how to be saved. So repent, turn from your sin. And what does that mean? It means pretty much turn from being self-centered, Turn from you being the king and master of your life. Turn from all of that. Turn to Christ. Trust him 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe that what he did on the cross, believe that it was for you. I urge you to do that. Life is very brief. It'll be gone like that. You will be in eternity someday. And either Christ will be your savior in eternity or he will be your judge. Father, we thank you that we have had opportunity today to hear the gospel. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. We thank you that we can understand this. It's not that hard that we can grasp it. I pray for every true believer here that they will let these words soak in, be absorbed in their life, learn these truths so that they can share them with others. And I pray, Lord, for any here who have never trusted you as their Savior, as their Lord, have never repented, I pray that this might be the day of their salvation. I understand, Lord, only you can open their eyes. Only you can bring about repentance and true faith. But that's what we ask that you would do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. What we heard today is the content of the gospel. Humans are sinners. Christ, the God-man, died in the place of sinners and rose again to prove that his death was accepted by the Father. In the future, there will be a judgment of sin in which Christ will be the judge. And the only way to be delivered from this judgment is to repent of sin and trust Christ as Savior. We tell people this so they have an understanding of how to be saved from the eternal wrath of God. That is why we must learn this. If you would like to review these last three programs to better understand the presentation of the gospel, I would recommend signing up for the Verse by Verse podcast at versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.